You may or may not have noticed that last week, none of us were here. Joe, myself and Timothy, we were all away. And the reason was it was my birthday. And um, we went away for the weekend. Now, we don't normally make a big fuss of birthdays, but um, as, it, as it turned out, Joe had seen um, a place that she really wanted to go to but she couldn't justify a weekend away. So um, she, sort of, she said to me, um, she said to me, there's an episode of The Simpsons where, where Homer Simpson gives his wife Marge a bowling ball as a birthday present because he loves temping bowling. And so he gives her a bowling ball because he wants a new bowling ball, knowing she's never going to use it, so straight away he'll have the present back for himself. She said, this is kind of a bowling ball present, Tom. I said, right, okay. And for weeks, she's been getting really excited about it because it, it was a surprise for me. I didn't know where we were going and what we were doing. And um, it struck me that throughout the summer, Jo's been really excited about this. And she hadn't told Timothy because keeping secrets isn't necessarily his forte. Um, and obviously, I knew nothing about it. Because she knew where we were going, she was really excited and she kept on saying, oh, should I give you a... No, I won't give you a clue. Oh, I no, I won't give you a clue. And it got to the week before, and she said, oh, I really can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Even on the drive up there, I must admit, I wasn't really that excited because I didn't know where we were going. As it was, we, we, we spent the weekend staying on a, a converted barge in, uh, on the Suffolk coast. It was, it was lovely. We had brilliant weather. Um, it, the, the boat was beautiful. The town, it was uh, Woodbridge in, in Suffolk. It was a beautiful town. It, it, was, it was brilliant. It was, well, I've never stayed on a boat before. It was, it was amazing. Um, and it really was good. But we only get excited about something if we know where we're going. A journey is only... You only endure it if you know where you're going. Otherwise, it's, it's a slog. It's a... It's a pain in the backside and you don't want to be doing it. And sometimes, sometimes I think that God looks at us and sees us toiling through life and hears our moans and he, he, he knows when we're feeling bogged down and that we're carrying a burden through life. And he must sometimes just feel that, that rise of excitement thinking, yeah, but, but you wait, you wait. Should I give you a, no, I'm not going to give you a clue. I've given you enough clues in, in the Bible. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you a glimpse. You wait. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be brilliant. And for so many of us, sometimes life can be like a bit of a slog. A bit of a slog because we can't get excited because we can't even begin to imagine where it is that we're going. Throughout this summer, I haven't been excited about my birthday because I, there was nothing to be excited. I didn't know. I knew I completely, you know, I trust Jo. She's, when she's booked surprise things before, they've never failed to be brilliant. And this, this, was, this was good too. But I couldn't get excited because I couldn't picture, I couldn't vision, envision what it was that I was getting excited about. It's difficult telling people about the Christian faith because it's difficult to say to them, everything that you endure in life Whatever it is, no matter how harsh, how bad, how bitter, how hurtful it is, it will fade into insignificance when you get to the destination that I'm trying to lead you to. That's a challenge that we have as Christians. And that's nothing new. Jesus, in the passage that we're looking at today, is trying to do that for his disciples. He's trying to, he's trying to lead them to that destination without being able to, to, to tell them exactly what it is, what it's going to be like, because he knew that they wouldn't be able to, to, to process what he was saying. 
The passage that we're looking at this morning comes from John chapter 16, and it starts in verse 12. And in this scene, Jesus is in the upper room the night before, well, the night that he's going to be betrayed, the night before he's crucified. He knows that it won't be long until um, him and his disciples go off to the Mount of Olives, that an arresting party come, there's a bit of a scuffle, he has to be the peacemaker. He allows himself to be arrested, he goes off, he faces trial, he faces mockery, he faces some horrific torture and eventually he faces the cross. He knows that that is about to happen, he's just hours away. And so in, this, in, in, the, in these moments, in the upper room, when they were sharing the Passover supper together, Jesus is desperately trying to give clue after clue after clue to his disciples to say, look, be excited, don't be scared, don't be worried, do not be afraid, be excited, because this journey is going to be horrible. It's going to be worse for me than it is for you, but for none of us is this going to be an enjoyable journey, but the destination is worth it. So in this passage, John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus says this, He's been talking to them for quite some time. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. It's one of those passages, isn't it, that the first time you read it, you can be forgiven for feeling none the wiser, when you get to the end of the passage, thinking, what does that mean? What am I supposed to take from that? It's very wordy, it's it's very dense, um, there's an awful lot of um, uh, theology within that passage. So what we're going to do this morning is break it down. Go through verse by verse, because as I've been preparing for this morning, I've, I've learned about the nature of God. My understanding of the Trinity has been enhanced and hopefully we can share that experience today. You see, first of all, verse 12 begins, Jesus says, I've got much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. You see, sometimes we describe people, don't we, as the font of all knowledge. They, they may be an, an expert in their field, someone who, who, knows, um, who knows banking inside out or who, who knows, um, knows technology and they can just make things work. I always find technology incredibly frustrating because I'm, I'm, I'm not a technologically gifted person. Um, for me, plugging something in and switching it on is about as far as my skill set goes. If it needs programming or tuning or anything like that, then it's beyond my level of capability. I have to, I have to ask someone to help. Jesus had knowledge. Not just a little bit of knowledge. Jesus had the full package. 
Jesus had the understanding of how the world was created, how the planets were hung in space, how the, the, these tiny little ecosystems that, that sometimes we, we hear about in an Attenborough documentary and we think, wow, that's amazing, how can, how can that be? Jesus understood all of that. Because Jesus was God. We make mistakes so often of using language which isn't always helpful when we're talking about God. The Trinity is something that we've created to try and explain the nature of God. The Trinity is very rarely referred to in Scripture. Jesus didn't describe the Trinity as such. But he did try to explain the nature of God. You see, we talk about the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if we're not careful, we almost um, uh, give, a, give a hierarchy. We've got the Father up in heaven, and then you've got Jesus, because he came next, and then you've got the Holy Spirit that's still on earth now. And we can think of a, a rank structure. And we talk about how Jesus intercedes for us to the Father. And so we almost um, see him as, as, um, as our, our broker, you know, the one, that, the one that goes to the Father saying, look, Lord, it's like this, all right? He's no saint, but he's not that bad, okay? He's done this, he's done this, he's done this. Come on, you can find room for him, go on. I've got, I've got so many more, come on, you want my business, I can bring all these ones into heaven, do us a favour on it. It's not like that. And to a certain extent, it's good that we use this language, Father, Son, Spirit. It helps us to understand the, the manifestations of God in different, different stages at different times. But make no mistake, they're all one God. They're simply different manifestations of one God. God is God. And this is what Jesus was trying to get over to his disciples when he was speaking to them at this time. He says to them, I've got much more to say to you. I've got so much to explain. Mankind hasn't even begun to come close to scratching the surface of knowledge. You know nothing about the world in which you live. You know nothing about the way that, that your bodies work, that your minds work, that your spirits work. You know nothing about what keeps the world going. I've got much more to tell you. So Jesus is sort of hinting at a revelation of knowledge that will come. You see, the disciples at that time, they were, they, were still, they were still getting used to the idea that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the promised one. Some of them were slightly further ahead in their understanding than others, but, but they were still grappling with that, understandably, because that was such a huge statement to make. It was a, a, a life-changing, a world-changing statement. When Jesus announced himself as the Son of God, he could have been killed for blasphemy under Jewish law if it wasn't true. And when Jesus came to walk among us, he came to teach us. He came to teach us about the world, to teach us about ourselves. But like any student... Knowledge is something that has to be absorbed gradually. I can go to a lecture at Spurgeon's and I can sit there and I can listen and, and I can be fascinated 
and I can hang on every word of the lecturer. But I can guarantee that half an hour after that lecture, if someone says, tell me exactly what was, what was taught, it would be a relatively small percentage that I could actually recall. Because we're not, we're not recording machines, we're not dictaphones. We can't just repeat everything parrot fashion. Maybe I'm not the best example because I'm not the sharpest tool in the box. Some people retain much more. But I do think that it's true that actually we, we, we need to learn things in different ways. We need to experience things. As we absorb knowledge, it is a gradual accumulation. As those, as those children go to Sunday school today, Charlotte will teach them. And Charlotte being Charlotte will have something brilliant lined up something fascinating and, and, and greatly entertaining. And there'll be a message there as well. But they won't remember the whole message when they come out, or after lunch today, or tomorrow morning. I often uh, can be quite mean on Joe. And on a Sunday night I'll say, how was it this morning, by the way? Was, did that make sense? Was that all right? And she'll say, yeah. I'll say, what bit? Well, you know, what passage was it? What was the theme? Now, to be fair, she's, she's got better. But there are times when she says, oh, you know, I can't remember. And I try not to take offence, because, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm sure I do the same. But it's interesting the way that the mind works. We, we don't absorb everything we're taught in one go. It's a gradual accumulation. It's not an instant download. Again, this makes communication a Christian message very difficult in this day and age. When, if you want to learn something, if you want to know about something, you can Google it. And immediately, you can get hundreds of millions of pages of information about whatever the subject you've typed in. We're used to an instant download. But Jesus says, I've got much more to tell you, but, but you're sim- you, you, you couldn't learn, you couldn't absorb it all. It would be overwhelming for you. You wouldn't be able to cope with it. We also learn through experience. Those disciples had experienced life with Jesus. They'd, they'd left their backgrounds, their, their, their professions or their families, and they'd gone to walk with him. They'd experienced Jesus. Did they know that they'd actually experienced God? They'd actually been in the presence of God? Well, I think they were, they were getting there. They'd seen the way that Jesus conducted himself. They'd seen the way that he treated others, the way that um, he, he, welcomed, he welcomed those that society and the culture of the day said were outsiders. He didn't, he didn't shut lepers out. He healed them. He didn't tell children to, to get out and too busy. He welcomed them. The disciples had experienced Jesus and these things are recorded in Scripture so that we too can experience life with Jesus as best we can. They'd experienced the the tolerance of Jesus as well. He tolerated the abuse he received. He fought against it as well. He didn't didn't bend over backwards and and become a doormat. But at the same time, he didn't call down a a legion of angels to, to destroy those who stood in his way. He stood there. And he endured the difficulty of life as a Christian. So Jesus hints at this progressive revelation. He says, I've got so much more to tell you, 
but it's more than you can now bear. You are still infants in your faith. And as an infant, I'm teaching you to, I'm teaching you to spoon feed yourself. You're not ready yet for, for quantum physics. That's a long way off. You've got to learn bit by bit by bit. And then he goes on. He says, but when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit of truth is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Again, when Jesus talks about knowledge, he doesn't just mean um, a little bit of knowledge, enough to win a bottle of wine at a South Green quiz night. He's talking about the whole understanding of, of the way that the world, the universe, everything in creation works. At the same time, when Jesus talks about truth, He's not saying the spirit of truth that, you know, it will sort of encourage you to, to be a good person, to make the right decisions. He's talking about absolute truth. This huge subject, this huge subject, truth is, the, is, is purity. God is truth. We say that a lot. What do we mean by that? What is the absence of impurity? There is nothing, there is nothing that, that muddies the waters of heaven. It's a purity, this truth. Everything that Jesus said is truth. There's nothing, that, nothing that's recorded that he ever said where he was trying to pull a fast one, where he'd, he'd forgotten his preaching notes one morning and, and did it from memory and made a few dodgy statements. It didn't happen because Jesus was God. He says, I will guide you into all truth. Again, that's not an immediate case of, well look, you see, there it is over there, go on. That's not guiding. Um, when you follow a guide, you put your trust entirely in them because by, for, you, you need a guide because you can't get yourself to the destination. Um, I may, may have mentioned this before, when I was about 15, I was in the Air Cadets and we went up to um, a place called uh, Lambeda in Wales. And uh, Lambeda is an adventure training centre. We were supposed to go up there and do um, uh, some Duke of Edinburgh expeditions, but the weather was so, it was November, the weather was so bad that they cancelled the expeditions. And so, being an adventure training centre, they, they took us kayaking on a, on a river somewhere, they took us climbing. We did loads of stuff. It was, it was a brilliant, brilliant week, even though we didn't do what we were there to do. But one of the things that we did was um, we went caving. And we, we started off in uh, an abandoned, uh, I think it's a, a coal mine or a tin mine or something, anyway, some sort of a mine. And this mine um, had broken through into a natural cave system. And I remember there were sort of, there were holes like that that you'd try and squeeze through. The bloke, bloke at the front, he was a little wiry fellow, as you'd expect of um, someone who, who spends half their time underground. Um, and he, he, he said, if you can get your shoulders through a hole, the rest of you will follow. And he made it sound really simple, but then you sort of think, well, hang on, he's got through, he's the guide, he's not coming back, we've got no choice but to get through. It was, it was brilliant. But at one point, he said, right, turn all your lights off, turn all your lights off. And he said, now hold your hands in front of your face. He said, that's total darkness. That is, that is to you can't get total darkness above ground because there is always some sort of light. He said, underground, you can have total darkness. Your eyes, um, <coughs> after, after an hour in the dark, of night, your eyes will adjust because there's light to adjust to. Underground, he said, there is no light. This is the absence of all light. After an hour, your eyes haven't adjusted because there is nothing to adjust to. And so um, we all switched our lights off and were sort of sitting, well, yeah, standing there in the darkness. Um, and there was water up to just below the waist. 
Um, and he said, right, reach out and just put your hand on the person in front of you, the shoulder of the person in front of you, and we're, we're going to walk. I can tell you, it was a very disconcerting experience because I didn't know where I was putting my foot. And he said to us, he said, right, as a group, whatever you do, do not let go of the person in front of you. And the reason for that is because it was terrifying. So, of course, when you tell, tell kids, don't do something, you always do it. And so we're walking along and you sort of let go a bit and start walking normally. And then suddenly, where are, where are they? Where are they? You can't see them. You have to you put your lamp back on and then, right, right, who's got their light on? It was really, really disconcerting. We needed a guide. We all needed a in that darkness. It wasn't comfortable. We put our entire trust in that guide because we had no idea how we were going to get out of that underground network of caves. If we'd taken a wrong turning, we could have been lost. There were places where there was just holes that seemed to have no end. We needed a guide. We didn't know where he was going. We didn't know if he was going to take a wrong turn. But Jesus says, I will guide you into all truth. So again, we don't know what heaven looks like. But we know Jesus is guiding us there. We know, we know Jesus has, has, has sent his spirit, the spirit of God, to dwell inside each and every one of us, prompting us to take the right path, guiding us through the darkness that we can sometimes find ourselves in, in the world. He guides us into all truth. George Beasley Murray, when he, was, he uh, wrote a commentary on John, and um, it's, uh, it's one of these quite intimidating commentaries where I find that sentence by sentence I need to have a dictionary with me to understand the English words he uses, let alone the Greek or anything else. Um, but he says... He says, in this passage, when Jesus talks about the spirit of truth, what he means is that the Holy Spirit for us helps us to interpret the past. When we look at scripture, when we look at our own life experience, when we look at different events in history, the Holy Spirit can help us to understand those. It discloses God's will for the present. We can, we can pray, we can experience the Holy Spirit prompting us to, to make certain decisions in the here and now. To do things, to go places, to phone people, to, to acknowledge certain things, to challenge certain things. And through that, God's will is disclosed for the present. But the Holy Spirit also reveals to us God's plan for the future. As Joe and I have been praying over the past few months as to whether or not it's right for us to stay at Billericay, we've been very aware of, of a spiritual security. People keep on say, have kept on saying, you know, oh, it must be an anxious, nervous time. It's been a frustrating time, yeah. But at no point have we been insecure. At no point have we felt scared of the future because we've felt an inner peace, an inner security. Whether we stay or whether we go, so long as it's God's will, we're fine. So verse 13, it teaches us about this thing called truth, this purity that we will only see in fullness the other side of the grave. In verse 14, Jesus says, He will bring, bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. 
We should honour. We should glorify God. How, how, is, how is glory brought to God? Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will bring glory to heaven, bring glory to God by revealing to us Jesus' plan. By taking, by taking from what is mine and, and making it known to you. This revelation of knowledge, this revelation of truth, this instruction on how we should conduct ourselves, how we should live life, on how we should, we should keep our eyes focused on that destination. Even though, like with my birthday weekend last week, it's a surprise. We, we, we know it's going to be good. We know it's going to be great. But we don't know what it's going to be like. But bit by bit, as we go through life, as we go through life, there are occasionally these, these glimpses of heaven in, around us. We might have to look hard to see them. But when, earlier on this week, when, when I received a message saying that a former member of a youth group I used to run is getting baptised, oh, that is a glimpse of heaven. That is something to celebrate. That is something that shouldn't be overlooked. And so, you know, that, Joe and I, that was a big, big deal for us. And that was probably the best news I've had this week, which seems bizarre when this was the week that my future was sort of um, secured, uh, uh, well, until God calls me otherwise. We should celebrate these things. We should celebrate the fact that we've got three kids out there at the moment learning, deepening their faith, coming closer to God. This is something to celebrate. You know, it's heaven that Charlotte is out there. Charlotte who's dedicated her life to teaching children about Christ. These are glimpses of heaven and, and you'll all have things that you can look back on this past week and thought, you know what, yeah, that, that's lifted me, that's encouraged me, that's brought joy to me. There might be answers to prayer that you can think, I, I, that was unbelievable. I, I prayed for that and there, there's the answer. I felt so close to God. There are these glimpses, this revelation. In verse 15, Jesus makes what I think is one of the most powerful statements that he could have made to his disciples that night. Jesus says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. Now let's just think, for that, think of that for a moment. These disciples who knew the scriptures, they've been brought up as, uh, in the Jewish faith. They knew the Father, God, Creator. And Jesus says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. Jesus is laying claim to all of creation. This is a massive sweeping statement. This is, if this wasn't true, this would be so arrogant, it would be laughable. If this isn't true, then you'd say, well, he, he, lock him up, crucify him, he's a joker, this is ridiculous, he's a fraud. No one has a right to make a claim like that. Even now, if, um, if someone was to make a comparison between themselves and Jesus, you'd laugh, because immediately you'd be... Do you realise what you've just said? That's, that's ridiculous. You sound stupid. You've just lost all credibility because no one can compare themselves to God. And yet Jesus does. He says brazenly to his disciples, all that belongs to the Father is mine. 
In other words, he's saying to them, again, in no uncertain terms, there's no difference between the Father and me. There's no difference. It's one of those verses that we can easily just kind of read over, gloss over, miss. But that's huge. That is huge. That's why John made sure he recorded it in his Gospel. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Again, this progressive revelation, this, this, this gradual understanding. Faith is a journey. We often say that. Well, it's a journey because God doesn't give us this instant download. We don't, we don't say, say, say the sinner's prayer and suddenly, bang, there it is. We don't go through the waters of baptism and, and come out and suddenly see the world completely differently and understand everything. No, we have to go on that journey. There is no shortcut. There is no easy route. We have to go on that journey. Why do we have to go on it? Because the destination will be better than we can ever imagine. You see, we talk about Scripture as being sharper than a double-edged sword, living and active, don't we? And it's so important that we don't just say that flippantly, but we actually practice it. We actually look to Scripture because there are some explosive statements in there that we need to stop and we need to consider. You know, God's Word is, is the way through which the Holy Spirit speaks to us. As I was planning this, um, this, this sermon this week, it was one of those passages I thought, oh dear, I'm going to make some proper notes on this one. That's, uh, that's, that's, quite, that's quite a wordy one. But do you know what? This has been brilliant planning this. Because God reveals so much to us through his word. Because his Holy Spirit is in us. Because they're not separate entities. They are all part of the same. Because the knowledge and the truth that is contained within Scripture is also contained within us. But we have to work to unlock it. We have to work to understand it, to make sense of it, especially in the context of the world around us. When I was planning for this morning, I, before I realised Joe wasn't going to be here, I was going to ask her to come and speak. Um, because... This, this progressive revelation, it's, um, it's sometimes difficult to understand. But I just wanted to share, um, and I'll, I'll share it on behalf of Jo, her testimony before, before Timothy was born. We'd been told that we couldn't have kids. We'd, 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 we were no place. And um, it, was, it was a difficult time, probably the most challenging time that we've had as a married couple. Um, we started praying together more. We'd come closer in faith, um, which, which, was, which was good, but um, we'd come closer because we were miserable um, and, uh, and we couldn't see a way through it. And anyway, we were on holiday and Joe had woken up early and she had given me a shake and said, let's pray together. And I said, oh, you, you pray, I'll just I'll lay with my eyes closed. Um, and she'd sort of given up on trying to wake me up and gone out onto, we had a little balcony and um, she'd gone and sat there with her, with her Bible and she did the thing that <laughs> you'd always advise someone against doing, just opened, she prayed over the Bible, she said Lord just speak to me, just give me some encouragement, I'm, 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 I'm miserable, I'm not happy and um, so she just opened up her Bible 
randomly. Random to her. But not random to God. Because she read these words. She turned to the Psalms, which is not uncommon when someone just opens a Bible because it's more or less in the middle of the Bible. And it fell open on Psalm 113 and Jo said to me, she came in, she came in from the balcony um, and wouldn't, I had no choice of having a line at that point. She woke me up and tears were flowing down her face. But they weren't tears of joy. They were tears of, of anguish, bitter disappointment. Because you see, she'd, she'd opened at Psalm 113 and uh, she hadn't read the whole psalm. Her eyes were just drawn to the, the closing verses where it says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. That verse brought no joy. It felt as if God was having a little dig, <laughs> if anything. It felt like... She felt mocked. She felt, she felt bitterly upset. We were away for two weeks and towards the end of the holiday um, she suddenly said to me, I'm late. We were on a jeep tour of uh, the islands we were on and uh, we went to this tiny little shack um, it was uh, an old natural harbour, which was beautiful, but um, there wasn't much there in the way of tourist shops. We went into this shack that sold three things. It sold postcards, um, it sold uh, rum, and um, it had a little medical section on which there was a box of aspirin and a pregnancy testing kit. We went back to our hotel, having bought the pregnancy testing and the rum. Um, <laughs> and... Um, that was when we discovered we were pregnant. In that moment, the power of Scripture, this progressive revelation, became very, very apparent to both of us. The verse that Joe had read and had misunderstood, she felt like, well, I know that that can't be. I know that... that Barren woman, that's a painful thing to be, to be called, but to be made, made a happy mother of children, I've been told, I've had medical advice, I've been professionally told that we cannot have children. She was so hurt. But actually sometimes you look to scripture and there is spiritual advice that supersedes medical advice. And so that's just, uh, it, was, it was the best example I could, that, that came to me as I was planning for this morning to just give a, a, a little, hopefully that's helpful, to understand how sometimes we read these scriptures and then something happens and then you have to look back and say, wow, wow, God has revealed a glimpse of heaven. God has encouraged me on my journey. God has lifted me from the pit. God has given me that encouragement to get through life because he can do wondrous things. He can do anything. God is so powerful. And one day, we're going to reach that destination at the end of this journey. When that, that progressive revelation will be complete. When we will be, be privy to, to knowledge as a, a, in all its fullness. To truth in its totality. To God in his majesty and his glory. That's what's there for us. 
We can, we can have that. Just to finish up, tonight I'll be preaching at Perry Street um, in the evening service and I'm going to be speaking about um, a, a, a small part of Psalm 119. Um, thankfully not the whole psalm because it goes on forever. But um, in Psalm 119, uh, verse 33 to verse 40, the psalmist is, is appealing to God and the language, for me, it's, it's, it's the language of, it teaches us how we should be living our lives. Every, every one of the, the couplets, Psalm 119 is, is written, although it's very, very long, it's written in these little couplets, which are easy to, um, to, to remember, to meditate on. Every a little enclosed couplet. It might be crying out to God, or it might be um, uh, contemplating wisdom. But every one of these couplets starts with, a plea. It's either teach me, guide me, give me understanding, direct me. And it's, the psalmist is so honest and so open. It's, it's a psalm that says, Lord, I need you continuously to be showing me the way, to be leading me, to be guiding me, to be teaching me. Please, don't, don't ever think that you are the full, complete package Every single one of us is a work in progress. We are being brought to completion and one day we will be made perfect. But until then, every single day, through scripture and through prayer, through every dimension of the Trinity that makes our God, call out, ask to be made complete and God will honour that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times when we take for granted that we have this incredible, powerful tool at our disposal. Father, your word is so, so strong. It is so, it is so powerful that we, we, we don't even realise it half the time. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to appreciate it more. Father, thank you for this, this revelation. The revelation of the nature of you. Father, help us to, to understand that. Help us to, help us to look around us and see how you reveal yourself to us. But Father, help us to turn to scripture as well. Lord, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for, for putting, on a, putting on flesh and coming down and walking amongst us. Lord, thank you that, that you are present with us in your spirit always. You are one God that can do anything. Father, thank you so much for the way that you educate us, the way you teach us, the way you direct us. You are a God of majesty and yet you are a God of intimate friendship as well. Father, Thank you for the privilege of being able to call ourselves your children. And we pray, Lord, that whatever we endure this week, the journey that we're on, help us to remember that it is a journey and that every journey has a destination and that, that the destination that you are guiding us to, although we, we cannot picture it, help us to remember, Lord, that everything that we go through on the journey 
will pale into insignificance when we see the destination. Father, you are our God. We are your servants. We are your people. We are your children. And we give thanks for you. In Jesus' name, amen.